Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and we'll be looking at verses 36 to 50 this morning. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Let me also say that Christmas CD has, uh, has hit the market uh, yesterday, and if you want the Holloway men singing Christmas songs, that CD will be available in the lobby for purchase after the morning service. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, the topic here, the title, The Pharisee and the Sinful Woman. In our passage, we have a contrast between two people, Simon, who's a Pharisee, and a woman who's unnamed, but she is referred to as a sinful woman. Jesus is going to tell a story later on in the passage about two debtors, who were forgiven a debt that they owed. And so the point of that story is to show that when a person understands the depths of his sin and the greatness of God and God's forgiveness, he's going to respond out of appreciation, out of love. And if Christians today realize the greatness of God's forgiveness, most of us think, well, we weren't there really that bad. That was Simon's problem. But if Christians realize the greatness of God's forgiveness and the greatness of our sin, there there would be less of a take-it-or-leave-it attitude when it comes to reading our Bibles and attending church and prayer and, and, and witnessing to the lost and basically serving the Lord. It will all just flow out of this heart of love that we have because of what Christ has done for us. This woman had a reputation. Everybody knew her because of her immoral lifestyle. But when she put her faith in Christ for salvation, she experienced the joy that that salvation brings, and she loved the one who forgave her. It's an unmistakable mark of genuine Christianity. We will know him. We will love him for what he's done for us. This encounter that Jesus had with Simon and the sinful woman is here for each of us. As we think about the huge debt of our sin and the forgiveness that Jesus showed when when he saved us, that should just instill for us a love for him and a service for him. The main truth of the passage, a person who is rescued from a life of great sin will love God with a great love. We'll look at five different segments of the narrative as we go through. The first is just in verse 36, a meal with an ulterior motive. Verse 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. We'll just ask the basic uh, where, when, and, and why this happened. Where did it happen? It was in the area of Galilee where Jesus really centered his gospel ministry, especially in the area of Capernaum where he lived. Not long ago in our series uh, of this series, Encounters with Christ, we looked at Matthew 4, 13 to 16, and it tells that this area where Jesus did many miracles was prophesied 700 years earlier by Isaiah the prophet. Matthew 4, 13 And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. And so this messianic passage that Isaiah spoke of, this prophet who had come, is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is saying, now is the time. He was invited to a meal in the house of a Pharisee named Simon. And it happened in wherever Nain, Nain is about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum, but it happened either between in the village of Nain or in another village along the way or in Capernaum itself. So that's where. When did it take place? It took place at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. If you look back at the beginning of Luke chapter 7, in verse 1, we read, And when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, he entered into Capernaum. Then Luke records the restoration of the, the Roman centurion servant. We looked at that miracle. Then he writes about a widow in the city of Nain. We haven't studied that one. But that's the, the, the widow, her son had died. And Jesus met the funeral procession on the way out of the city. And he raised the son from the dead. Nain is only mentioned here in Luke 7:11, And it was 25 miles, as I said, southwest of Capernaum. Then Luke mentioned the question from John the Baptist. We're going through the, Luke chapter 7 here. And, and, and the, the messengers came from John the Baptist saying, art, art thou he that should come, or look we for another? And Jesus said, this is what I'm doing. And by doing all these miracles, he's saying, I am the Messiah. This is the one that you've been looking for. Demons were being cast out. People were being healed. The blind were regaining sight. And the gospel was being preached. And all those were indications that Jesus was the Messiah. But in verse 30, Luke says the Pharisees and lawyers rejected John's baptism of repentance. They weren't interested in the kingdom that he was preaching. And in verse 30 it says, But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him, of John the Baptist. And Simon was one of those Pharisees. This happened at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's often confused with the anointing of Mary of Bethany, but that happened at the end of his public ministry. Uh, Mary anointed Jesus with that expensive spike nard on the first day of the Feast of the Passover. By the end of the week, Jesus would die for our sins as the Passover lamb on Calvary. And the sweet sacrifice of Mary's gift, I believe, still perfumed the body of the Savior when he gave his life in sacrifice for us. Another fact that proves this is different than the anointing by Mary of Bethany is this. The anointing by the sinful woman took place in the house of Simon the Pharisee. The anointing of Mary of Bethany took place, or by Mary of Bethany, took place in the house of Simon the leper. The sinful woman of Luke 7:36 was not Mary, the, mother, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. The last question, why did Simon invite Jesus to his home for a meal? And I don't think it was because of, of love for Christ. There may have been a curiosity. Uh, Simon wanted to spend time with Jesus so he could find anything 
out about him that could undermine him. People were following him because he's teaching and because of the miracles that he's performing. He even claimed to be sent from God. And people were believing in him. And Simon wanted to put an end to what Jesus was doing. Geldenhouse says this about Simon. From what follows in the narrative, it is clear that he did not through his lo- did this not through love of him or because he believed in him, but at best out of curiosity or even for the purpose of spying upon him. Although Jesus was aware of this, he nevertheless accepted the invitation because he loved Simon. And he longed to call him to repentance. A meal with an ulterior motive. Then we come to an anointing out of a heart of worship, verses 37 and 38. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them, that is his feet, with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Notice the reputation of the woman. She was a sinner. Unfortunately, many mistake this woman for Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene. There's absolutely no biblical support in that theory whatsoever, although it's been thought by many people to be true. All that we know about the rescue of Mary from Magdala is that we re- what we read in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. False teaching started, I believe, in the 6th century under Pope Gregory the Great, who said this sinful woman was Mary Magdalene. He also claimed that Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany was the same person. How did a woman of ill repute happen to walk right into this Pharisee's house? Wearsby helps us understand a little bit about the practices of the society in the New Testament times. He said, It was customary in that day for outsiders to hover around during banquets so that they could watch the important people and hear the conversation. Since everything was open, they could even enter the banquet hall and speak to a guest. This explains how this woman had access to Jesus. He was not behind locked doors. In that day, women were not invited to banquets. Jewish rabbis did not speak to women in public, nor did they eat with them in public. A woman of this type would not be welcome in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Her sins are not named, but we get the impression she was a woman of the street with a bad reputation. Another author, Geldenhaus, that I quoted from before, says, She was so contrite and repentant because of her formal formal sinful life, and on the other hand, so grateful and attached to Christ who had come into her life as redeemer, that she put aside all her fears and not only entered the house, but even went to the table where the Pharisees were reclining with his guests and kneeled at the feet of Jesus. That's the reputation of the woman, the research of the woman. She knew where Jesus was. Some say that she had already repented of her sin and put her faith in Christ. I believe that's very likely. If you look at the harmony of the Gospels, Matthew 11:28 through 30 took place just before this event. 
And that's where Jesus uttered those words, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. She was probably there. She probably responded to that invitation. Notice the reverence of the woman. She brought an alabaster box of ointment. The word for alabaster box is just one word in the original, alabaster. It was a stone that could be carved and formed into some kind of a vase or a vial. The word for ointment is muran. We get our word myrrh from that, a bitter perfume, described, describing this ointment that was in, inside this, this box. She stood at his feet behind him. That, that is, Jesus, in the custom of the day, would be laying at, at, at a, a short table with his feet behind him, and so she had access to his feet, and that's when the servants would come and wash the feet of the guests. She was weeping. She washed his feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair. It could be that her weeping produced enough tears to wash his feet, it could be that she was using that common bowl or the pitcher to, to pour water, and her tears combined with that water as she washed his feet. It could be that she brought her tears in another bottle. The practice of saving tears in a vial was common. Some thought that if they were buried with that vial of their tears, it would prove how many sorrows that they had sustained or endured in life. David wrote in Psalm 56, 8, Thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? <laughs> you don't have to keep them in, a, in your own bottle. God knows all about your sorrows. He knows. Well, she kissed and anointed his feet with ointment, humbly worshiping and serving, washing Feet was the servant's duty, a normal gesture of hospitality, and Simon later is reminded that he had overlooked that. We come to the third segment here, a reaction from a heart of unbelief. So we've seen a meal with an ulterior motive, an anointing out of a heart of worship, a reaction from a heart of unbelief, 39. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him, and talking about Simon, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. Everyone knew that. The reaction was secretive. Notice he didn't voice this out loud. He didn't even whisper it. It says he spake within himself. He just thought this. And the reaction showed doubt that Jesus really was a prophet. How could he be a prophet if he is allowing this? Simon thought within himself, if Jesus was really a prophet, he'd know this woman's reputation. John Martin in the Bible Knowledge Commentary says, The host thought that Jesus could not possibly be a prophet, for if he were, he would have known that the woman was a sinner, and then would not have let her touch him, for a touch by a sinner brought ceremonial uncleanness. As I looked at that, I thought, Jesus really does show that he's a prophet. Not only did he read Simon's secret thoughts, he rebuked him for despising this woman and criticizing the Lord for allowing this. Wearsby makes the point that Simon's real problem was blindness. He couldn't see himself. He couldn't see the woman or the Lord Jesus. It was easy for him to say, she is a sinner. 
but impossible for him to say, I also am a sinner. Fourth segment, verses 40 through 48, a lesson is revealed in a parable. Jesus engaged the interest and the attention of his host. In verse 40, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. G. Campbell Morgan says, Simon's answer surely had in it a touch of superciliousness. Now, Morgan had a really good vocabulary, and so just to help us understand that word superciliousness, it means thinking that you're better than someone else, and really that their opinions and that their beliefs are not really that valuable. He told a story of forgiveness. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Now this, this uh, pence here, the word pence is a denarius in the Greek language, it's a Latin word, it was equal to about a day's wages. It's always difficult to figure that out in our, own common, uh, in our own currency. But in this story, the first debtor owed a year and a half of his income. The other owed a month and a half of his income. Both amounts were too great for either of them to pay of their debt. It says in verse 42, they had nothing to pay. It could not be paid with what they had. Jesus asked a question, and Simon answered it correctly. Second half of verse 42, we'll pick up. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? He's speaking to Simon. And Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. The creditor, or the banker, said, You owe a year and a half of your, of your wages. And the other, you owe a month and a half of your wages. And he said, I'm going to, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive both of you the entire debt. And then Jesus asked Simon, who do you think is going to be more grateful of the debt that was forgiven? Here's the point Jesus wanted Simon to understand. None of us can pay the debt of our sin. We have to come to a place where we know that. And instead of looking at someone else and saying, boy, their debt's bigger than mine is. They've done a lot worse than I have. Isn't that what we do? I, I'm not as good as some, but I'm not as bad as most. And we justify things in our minds, and we become just like Simon. We're all wicked sinners. We're all in debt, and we cannot pay the debt, but Jesus can. The greater the sense of our sin the greater will be our appreciation for the one who pays for that sin. And when we understand that no matter what the amount of our sins is that we've committed, we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God, then we'll have the same kind of love this woman had for the Savior. The point of the story is applied in verses 44 through 47. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath ceased not to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. 
Do you notice the way the Luke, Luke records what happened? And turning to the woman, he said to Simon. He, he didn't even face Simon as he's talking to him. He's, he's going to, to issue this stinging rebuke to Simon, but he's not going to make eye contact. He looks at the woman, and he talks to Simon as that's over his shoulder. She showed hospitality. This isn't even her house. She wasn't even invited here. Simon, you're the host, but you have not been hospitable. She showed them uh, the, the love that uh, she had for Jesus. Simon hadn't shown any of that. And then we come to the verses 47 and 48, and we find out that her sins were forgiven. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little, just like you reasoned in the story. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And John Martin says the woman was not forgiven because of her love. Rather, she loved because she was forgiven. And that's why I believe her salvation took place earlier. Her faith brought her to salvation. Your faith hath saved you. Go in peace. Verse 48, uh, 848. Her faith, in turn, caused her to respond in love. The other dinner guests wondered who Jesus is since he forgave sins. And so we come to the, the last, the fifth segment, a question of doubt and pronouncement of salvation, 49 and 50. And they, they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, again, not out loud, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith, said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. So who is he that forgives sins? Uh, those who were at the meal were, were asking this. Again, it's, it's in themselves. They dare, dared not speak this out loud. And Jesus told the woman that her faith had saved her, but she was to go in peace. How does a person know that their sins are forgiven? By what God says. We find assurance to our faith in the scriptures. The Bible is what God is telling us today. And so you should rest the question of your eternity on the promise of God. Don't take someone's word for it. Don't take the fact that you filled out a card for it. Go to the Bible. Find out what God says about your salvation. Find a verse like John 10, 28, where he said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Wearsby writes, How was this woman saved? She repented of her sins and put her faith in Jesus Christ. How did she know she was truly forgiven? She had the assurance of his word. What was the proof of her salvation? Her love for Christ expressed in sacrificial devotion to him. For the first time in her life, she had peace with God. Literally, it reads, go into peace. For she had moved out of the sphere of enmity toward God and was now enjoying peace with God. How much do you love God? When we stop and consider the depth of our sin. Before we came to Christ. And, and know that it was a debt that we could not pay. It was impossible to pay. We will have a greater appreciation for the Lord. For his forgiveness. 
We'll have a greater love for him because the debt was so great. Can anyone neglect a love like God's?